you know, you read this all the time, like, well, I'm so glad I went through it because I'm a different person. And it's actually true. I would never want to be that woman I was back then, you know, and I was fine for, for what I was doing, but, but I'm so much different now than I was then. And I just love it. And I love, I love this phase of my life. Hey, midlifers, welcome to the Midlife Makeover Show. Are you ready to break free from your mundane midlife? Are you feeling trapped in a vicious cycle of rinse and repeat days? No matter if you're experiencing a divorce hangover, job burnout, or you just have the midlife blues, I got you. Hey, I'm Wendy, your hostess of the Midlife Mostess. I too was hit by midlife like a freight train. I too felt stuck in the same dull chapter. I wanted the clarity of how to create a new life beyond divorce and the courage to leave an unfulfilling career. But I kept telling myself that I wasn't worthy and it was just easier to stay in my comfort zone until I found a little secret, the freedom to live my life my way. In this podcast, you will learn how to achieve a vibrant midlife mind and body, how to create solid relationships through love and loss, and how to create an awesome second half of life. Grab your grande latte, pop in your earbuds, and let's get this midlife party started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Midlife Makeover Show. Today is the last day of August, which means that autumn and winter are just around the corner. Can you believe it? That is so weird. It seems that summer went by so quickly, or maybe it just did for me because I've been cruising the country in an RV for the last few months. <laughs> Shoo-wee! In any event, change is in the air. Whether it's change due to the seasons of weather or change due to the seasons in life, change is always present in our lives. Change is inevitable, guaranteed, and most importantly, it's necessary. Change is needed in order for us to evolve, grow, progress, and move forward in our lives, right? Yes. Otherwise, life would be stagnant and still. Wah, wah, wah. Sometimes you voluntarily make changes in your life, such as changing careers or changing relationships or changing where you live. And sometimes change happens involuntarily to you, such as being served with divorce papers, getting fired from your job, or maybe a hurricane hits your house, God forbid. No matter if you chose the change or the change was chosen for you, you must learn to change with the change. I don't even know if that made sense. <laughs> I feel like it did. In other words, you must learn to move through the changes in your life so you can grow through the changes in your life. Just like our guest said during our interview, there are pluses to trauma because trauma allows you to grow and deepen as a human being. So true. As difficult as it can be sometimes, you guys, you must learn to embrace change and even get excited about change. As a matter of fact, the definition of change is to make someone or something different especially someone or something of the same kind that is newer or better. That's the ticket right there, better. 
You've got to look at the changes in your life as an opportunity, I love that word, to create something better, a better life, better relationships, better health, better habits, better finances, a better lifestyle, better fitness, better sleep, oh yes, and an overall better you. You better believe it. (laughs) You better believe that you can create a life that brings you joy and fulfillment. And today's guest will help you do just that. Our guest is Shelly Miller-Lear, author of The Little Upholstery Book and founder of The Home Room Shop. She is an expert at rebuilding furniture and rebuilding lives, not just in her personal life, but also in the lives of her students. When Shelly experienced a series of losses, including her three siblings, her mother, and the loss of her 35-year marriage, she found comfort in her own hands-on creative practice during those years of grief. Shelly also discovered that by helping her students repair, strengthen, and recover from their own tattered and torn lives, it helped to lead her out of the dark pit she was in and enter her own midlife makeover. Booyah! Go Shelly! Shelly now empowers women to imagine, design, and unleash their creativity to rebuild a brilliant, soulful, and mind-blowing second half of life. Yes! I'm excited to introduce you to this extraordinary change maker. Enjoy the show. Shelly Miller Lear, welcome to the Midlife Makeover Show. It's so great to have you here. And I must say, before we uh, before we started, I was checking out your website, reading your about page and your bio, and I was like, "Whoa, what a fascinating woman!" First of all, extraordinary, and what a fascinating story that you have. I can't wait for you to share it with everyone. But I will just give a little hint to everyone right now that you rebuild furniture and you rebuild lives, including. Oh, that's good. Do you like that? I think you need to. uh, That should be your new motto. My tagline right there. Yes. Do you like? I know. I thought of that like right before. I was like, damn, that was rebuild furniture, rebuilding lives. That's not bad, Wendy. That's That's really good. I know. So um, there's a lot to unpack because you have such a huge story, a huge life already. Um, So let's talk about professional life, what you do, and then we will kind of mosey on into your personal life, (laughs) and uh, which kind of, it ties in with it though, which is so freaking cool. Yes, it does. Yeah. So again, welcome to the show. Uh, Tell everyone a little bit more about what you do professionally. All right. First of all, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Um, All right. Well, I have been around a long time, a long, long time. And I would say I'm kind of a DIYer from before DIY was trendy. So my uh, my work has been in on the surface has been upholstery and rebuilding furniture and teaching women how to rebuild furniture, but that didn't just come out straight out of the gate. That that took a lot of winding roads to get there. 
But I had this big shop up until the end of the year, which I closed Mm -hmm. and I went back online and I had built some online courses in 2015 before COVID. And so I was muddling through that, trying to figure out how to do that. And I realized that was a thing and that was a scalable way to um, teach. And I love teaching. I discovered I love teaching from Mm -hmm. teaching. I didn't really know I was going to love it, but I did. Mm, wow. So, so yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I can go all over the place. So in, if you have one specific question, ask me. Otherwise, I'm going to tell well, you how I how it all came to be. So uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the really cool furniture uh, behind you. But uh, and I was looking at your Instagram page uh, and I was like, the furniture is amazing. And I wish I. I wish I could actually do that, rebuild furniture. I think it's fascinating when people do that. So what made you want to even do that type of business? What was I'm like, how far back does that go? Okay. I, I'll give you this in a nutshell. Okay. So uh, first of all, my dad was a home builder. So that was mm-hmm. sort of part of my mm-hmm. life. Um, I went to paralegal school. I worked as a paralegal. I had kids. I stopped working, staying at home. My neighbor was starting an upholstery business and I had always been sort of hands-on creative. My mom was that way. And then a friend of mine uh, said, come over and help me tear down furniture. So I would do that in the evenings after the kids were in bed. Then she said, why don't you start your own business? And I said, okay, out of the clear blue. So I started my own little business in my garage and my basement. So I was racing back and forth. I would sew in the basement and run up to the garage and staple. So anyway, this was all going on about 1993. And I had three kids at the time. And then when the internet came to be, I, I started writing for a DIY blog and paid. They paid me to write for them. So I was taking photographs and making tutorials and they were paying me to do this. And I thought this is the best thing ever because I love photography and I love doing what I was doing. So that kind of got the ball rolling. Mm. Well, then when you feel like there's an audience who wants to see what you can do, you're like, oh, I don't want to just show them this beige chair. Let me show them how they can take this ugly bench from Goodwill and flip it, which is now commonplace. But back then, nobody was doing this. There were not that many content creators back then. Right. Yep. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how it got started. And then how, how did you, uh, how did that evolve from building furniture to helping women to rebuild their lives? Well, oh, that was a good question. I, (laughs) I don't know if that's in that website, but anyway, um, So I'm doing all that, and I got this little boost of confidence that I was writing for websites. So I I pitched a column to the Indianapolis Star, a DIY column, Mm. and they took me up on it. It was like immediate, and I had no idea how to do a pitch or anything. She said, yeah, start with every Saturday, and let's go for it. So there was a woman that worked in at the Star who has become a good friend of mine, and she asked me if I would teach upholstery. 
But prior to that, I had done a little part-time job at a women's shelter. And I was wow. I was a director of what they called, uh, this is a terrible name for a women's shelter program. It was called Sisters in Stitches, which you can oh, kind of- Oh, gosh. I know. Yeah. But what they used it for was to take donations. Yeah. Like uh, it was men's ties. And they supposedly were turning them into purses and selling them. So they were helping finance their programs. But the truth was, the truth was the real woman that ran it before me was just making Mm -hmm. the purses. And those ladies had so much on their plate. They didn't really want to come down. But when I got there, I, I don't know what, you know, it was like, I just brought in, like, I don't care about the hand tie bags. Let's just come down here and learn how to sew. Right. So that really made me want to help women. Cause I saw how happy they were when they made something, they made something so simple and they were so happy about it. So that mm-hmm. was the start of that. And then, then my friend asked me to teach upholstery and it just, pew. What do you relate that that joy to and just making oh, something? Are well, these just am I just killing the questions today? I love it. <laughs> um so you know what? That so I ask myself that I I can't tell you how many times a day. It's like, mm-hmm. what is it in our brains yeah. that makes us so happy when we make something? And of course, it's like, oh, it's a dopamine hit. It's a spritz of dopamine. Yeah. It makes you feel good. And other people say, oh, it's so rewarding. It's so satisfying. But I want to know, like, why? What is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've done a lot of reading and I read this book called The Creativity Cure by a doctor. Uh, oh, Carrie, yes. I read Barron. that. Yep. And her husband is an, was an orthopedic, he's still alive, orthopedic mm-hmm. surgeon, and she's a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And they found that when people are, there's a hand-brain connection. And when people are making something with their hands, it is ju- it just uplifts their spirit. Now, it's not the only cure for any kind of depression or anxiety, but it really is helpful. And I, so when I read that, I was like, this is it. This is exactly what I watch happening to women. And then I, t- I tweeted her and we had a little conversation back and forth. And she goes, well, there's just no research on it. You know, you can't really pin it down and say, oh, it's science based, but it truly does make people really happy to make stuff. And that interesting. Well, so- and then wait, there, I have to tell you one more thing. So then yeah, there's yeah, a couple yeah. qualifiers. It makes you more happy to make something for someone else. That kind of ups the ante. And especially when you make something and you give it away and it is like, you're just flooded with these happy hormones. It's that gratitude gratitude, which is the highest vibration of emotion, right? Right. Yep. That is so cool. I was, uh, I had put a post on the other day uh, about meditation. A lot of people think that the only way to meditate is like sitting in lotus position and just sitting in silence, but actually meditation can be like drawing, doing art, uh, walking, doing yoga. So I would imagine as you're using your hands, you're, you're so focused that it's almost hard. Like, let's say if you were going through something traumatic in your life at the moment, it would be hard to even hold the thought of thinking about that because you would be so concentrated on, on your craft. Are so you going to come of, and work for me? You want to come and work for me? That is exactly right. 
So you're actually rewiring the brain, which is neuroplasticity. That's what all that is. That is. is rewiring the brain. That's meditation. Well, they that call is- that active meditation. So you're in an activity. Yep. And I think too, when you're rebuilding something, you're taking something that is quote unquote imperfect and you're making it into something in your eyes and making that perfect in your eyes, which is like, that's the right. That like, that's the reward with it. There's something about saving something or building instead of destroying, you know, all of that is positive. It's positive stuff. And I mean, you've got it. You have got the action. That, that's it. That's it. That's it. We solved it. I know. So what is that? that um, oh, God, what is the name of that? There's like a Japanese uh, term. You pr- you might know about it where they'll take uh, like a broken glass and then they 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 glue it back together with like oh. gold. Um, And so you see like the gold seams you, of where. Yeah. I don't know what like that's this, called. Yeah. And, it, um, and it's like a new work of art. Yeah. Right. So connecting that going professional to personal and like these women, like that they're changing their lives as they're rebuilding furniture, they're rebuilding their lives, probably without even knowing it. Like, right. Like they're probably rebuilding themselves without even realizing in the moment. But it's almost like taking your taking your life. If you're going through something major, going through a divorce, you're going through losses in your life. And you're taking your like, quote unquote, imperfect self and rebuilding it into something of your own, like making it into what you want, which is really cool. Well, it's, you. I mean, you've got it. And the other thing with that, there's a lot of layers with that, but mm-hmm. it's also, um, if you've gone through some trauma, when you mm-hmm. go to work on something, you get control and where you feel like the rest of your life is out of control, yeah. you can control materials. And yeah. also, also that tactile, uh, sensory tactile feeling is like um, grounding, you know, when you mm-hmm. um, settling you down, like a self-soothing in a way. Right. So if you were working on something like when I have had women working um, in my boot camps and they would have to be taking out millions of staples, they hated it. But ah. that repetitive motion got to be sort of uh, relaxing in a way. Yeah, it, you I know, bet. It's, I don't know. And some still hated it at the end. But also you're cleaning things up. So again, it goes into I'm. Um, they're getting control over something that's right here in front of them. It's not like yeah. a tech job where they're just, they don't see the end of it. They can see the progress. Yeah. And that makes a huge difference in people when they're struggling like that. Yeah. And sometimes like just taking a little step forward and having a little goal, no matter, even if that goal is I'm going to remove these damn staples from this chair today. It's, it's like the tiniest of goals can actually go, oh my gosh, I did that. I finally got all those staples out. That's right. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So in 2009, correct. You started basically, not you started, uh, just life started for you. Uh, life started throwing you, stuff at yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> the shit storm really hit <laughs> in <was>. your life. <laughs> and one loss after another. So I know the story. I don't know all of it, but go ahead and share with everyone uh, what happened there in those few years of, of uh, your midlife meltdown. 
man. Okay. So at the end of, I got, I opened my shop at the end of, no, at the beginning of 2009. And at the end of the year, my brother, who was three years older than me, passed Mm -hmm. away. Hmm. And that was the first one. And then um, I realized at the time I was teaching classes and I kept I just kept turning to that because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't really know how else to cope. So Hmm. I would be working with these women and not only did it help me, but it helped me relate to them, relate to me better. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah. So we, you know, I don't know, I maybe didn't seem so much like, oh, she doesn't have anything that's gone wrong. It's like, yeah, yeah, she just had the the world collapse. But then, you know, so that went on and I was doing my healing and my grieving and everything I could. Um, And then in 2011, I had my next older brother die suddenly. And then in that was in that was in May. And then in October of that year, my mom died. But that was she was 92 and she was good up until the day she died, because the night before she the day before she died, she went and bought a new pair of shoes. So that was a good story on the way out at 92 (laughs) and a new pair of kicks, you know, Uh. and then. And so I'm going along. I think, how can this happen to one? So there were five kids in our family. How can this happen to somebody, you know? And people pitied me so much. And I never really thought that like, oh, I've got this tragic life. I just didn't think of it that way. Right. But man, I was, you know, it was like, you just grab a hold of whatever you can in order to try to make sense. And for me, and I was not like, oh, all of this stuff was the was the solve solution to grief, but it helped tremendously because mm-hmm. I could be quiet and I could process. And then when I was teaching, I could also be helping people, which is another really great way to boost everything. Mm-hmm. And um, so everything kind of went together with that. And then in the meantime, I started running again and I started bicycling and I started meditating and I started journaling. So it's like this little combo of things lifted me up and out. And I will say this, it was like, I mean, it was visually and emotionally, it was like I was in the bottom of a deep, dark, narrow pit. And Mm. I could see no, I could see light way up there. And I thought, I don't know how I'm going to get out of here. But slowly I did. And um, you know, it was just like hammering away, knowing that this isn't going to take me down and out. It just can't, can't be right. the way that it's meant to be. But then in, two, then in 2014, my sister died suddenly and she had, well, that was a, that was sort of a post-surgery situation. And I mean, it, she was the oldest in the family and it was like, I was kind of laid out. It was like, I mean, like wide open. And I thought, well, you know what? The one thing is I know how to get through grief now. And I know that sounds kind yeah. of jokey, but it's yeah. true because when you've gone through it a number of times, you're like, okay, I'm going to feel this way for a while. Then I'm going to feel this way. And so yeah. I started writing about that and um, that helped tremendously. Mm. And it was like, okay, this is, I mean, I have one brother left and it's, he and I would just look at each other. Like, how did this happen? Yeah, or like, oh my God, like, this is all we got here. I know that's, that's exactly right. I mean, he'll just look at me and just shake his head. Like, cause he's older. He's like, uh Oh, I'm, I'm next. <laughs> <laughs> 
so then, all right, so all of that loss, grief, I learned all about it. I was writing about it. Also relating more to the women and becoming so much more compassionate for people in general, just for life. And so I was growing, although I still felt like I was, you know, knocked down. I was growing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Who? Then. Then. There's there's more. (laughs) Then in January of 2015, towards the end of the month, I found out my husband had been having at least one affair, one long term. I mean, I don't know how many affairs. and you know, everything that cascades down from that came in 2015. So the funny thing was that took precedence, obviously. And all this grief kind of sat on the back burner because I hadn't really worked through it Mm -hmm. completely. But then I had to tend to that. And so, you know, as many people do in um, marital things like that. We tried to reconcile for a few years and that didn't work. And then I went through a divorce. So that was really the divorce, which was in 2018, was when I really just dove in and figured this out. And, you know, people say, you know, you read this all the time, like, well, I'm so glad I went through it because I'm a different person. And it's actually true. I would never want to be that woman I was back then. You know, and I was fine for for what I was doing, but but I'm so much different now than I was then. And I just love it. And I love I love this phase of my life. I people are saying to me, I hate getting older. Getting older sucks. And I go, I don't know what's wrong with you guys. I love it so much. And I don't know. I think it's just because of going through a big transition, reinventing myself many times. And um, really finding out who I am and that I didn't have, well, I guess I, we didn't go into this, but I was a pleaser and I would, I was the youngest in the family. I was always doing what they wanted me to do. And I realized I don't have to do that anymore. Were you a pleaser and a fixer? I was not a fixer because nobody there listened to me because they were all smarter and more everything. I mean, that's what they thought, you know? Yeah. Um, I was like, what do I have to do to make everything? I mean, it was not a dysfunctional household. It was hectic, it was really hectic with three boys and my sister. Um, I didn't want to ruffle anybody's feathers and mm. I didn't want to annoy anybody. And I was the youngest. So I was kind of like the baby, all the, you know, it's like, uh, did you stop crying? You know, I remember those things. It was like, why doesn't somebody help me? <laughs> So I figured all this out as I am a lot older than that now. So now, now you're able to, uh, you're able to help yourself. Yes. I, well, you know, what is the term self-parenting? Yeah, exactly. What do you think of the, as you went through all of this, what was the most difficult thing that you struggled with emotionally about yourself that was like difficult to change? Oh, I know right off. I know. Um, I am what might be called a a highly sensitive person, Mm -hmm. very uh, emotionally. Well, you know, tuned into what everybody around me is feeling. And that made me want to make everything all right. So I kind of would put my life on the back burner and take care of 
making sure nobody was feeling sad or unhappy. Like you said, I wasn't really fixing it, but I didn't want to do anything to upset anybody. Right. So I was not really true to myself. And that was really hard to face because Mm -hmm. I always thought I was, but I realized I have not lived my life. Right. I've you thought you were I've, being good for everybody else. Yes. But you weren't really being good for Shelly. Yes. That is yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a story. And well, I, I you, love that you said like you like you, you almost wouldn't take away all those losses because it's made you into who you are right now. I would say that's true. And you know how it, like you sometimes look at other people and think, well, they're so lucky they haven't lost their family or whatever. And it's like, right. well, that is fortunate, but there has been some um, pluses for mm-hmm. growing and deepening as a human being, which right. I think as I've gotten older, it's like, yeah, it's just not about me and my little family. It's more about the world. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, our community, let's yeah. start community, community yep. world. And it it's taken it from little Shelly up to, well, like I go to the store and I'm trying to be helpful and nice. And, you know, it's like, you got a responsibility to be loving to everybody. And right. so anyway, that's kind of, yeah. And plus you never know what someone else is going through. Right. Oh, well, you know what, Wendy, yeah. that is what my yeah. sister who was a teacher said to me, but one of the last things I remember talking to her about, and she said, you never know what people are coming into your classes with, what they're coming from yes. their homes with. Because I was kind of like, oh, I just, you know, these people come in and they're so demanding. She goes, you never know what they're coming from. She was so compassionate. And that was like, wake up. And I was like, all right. So, yeah. Yeah. And and even what they may not even completely know. Right. Right. Like some right. of those limiting beliefs that that we all have. And you don't like just like what you shared. You didn't realize that that was really holding you back. You weren't really being true to Shelly. Correct. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it was a roller coaster. But um, you know, do you remember the uh, the line in the Shawshank Redemption when Andy Dufresne gets through that sewer tunnel into the lake, and Morgan Freeman says he climbed through like however many yards of whatever. Uh-huh. to get out. And he got out on the other side. And it was like, I got out on the other side. I popped out that other side. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to keep digging. Yes. And I love that you did that. Like you didn't, I mean, grief is different for everyone. Right. And correct. There are times of like, yes. Like if you want to just curl up in a ball and cry, do that. Right. But the world keeps moving. Everyone keeps like the day keeps coming another day and another day. And you have to eventually keep moving yourself. And, and you can't, you can't, you have to do it in your own time. You yes, can't. Exactly. There's not yeah. a perfect timeline. And I almost think you have to get, and this is, I don't know if this is right or not. For me, it was, mm-hmm. you have to get sick of yourself in that <laughs> rolling around in that muck. You know, I do that. I still do that. I'm like, oh my gosh, Wendy, enough or right already. Yeah. Like you become your own cheerleader. I always talk about that, right? You become your own coach. You coach yourself through it and go enough. Let's get out. Let's go for a walk. Let's, let's go take those staples out of that damn chair. Let's start rebuilding. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Because 
And and it's not, you know, some people think, oh, well, it's a form of distraction. You're just avoiding what's in front of you. But actually, no, like just making movement, just moving your mind and your body and getting back into the groove of life is healing because we know, like, and I, I, I was thinking about this the other day at midlife. I mean, we all, I mean, unfortunately, yes. Like as you get older and your siblings get older, your parents get older, like we're going to experience losses. And I don't think, I don't know, like you were saying, which was really interesting. You said like, okay, you had, you lost your, your, your one brother and then another brother. And then by the time, like your mom, it was like, okay, I know how to do this. I know how to do this grieving thing. Yeah. I know what to expect. Right. Yes. And sometimes until you experience something, you're just not going to know, like you have to just go with the flow of it. Well, especially in grief, because people yeah. people get hit with grief and they've never lost anybody. And they are, especially, I hate to say this, but especially men, they do not know how to, no. like, what to grab a hold of. Yes, right. And How to process or, yeah. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's, but, you know, going back to that thing you said about just get out there and move, I think that um, sometimes, because I can get in my head very easily and not yeah. do anything. And that's why getting out and working with my hands is helpful. But yeah, sometimes it's like that moment where you decide, get out, get up and go, go to the store, get out and go to get a cup of coffee. Yep. It's breaking that like mesmer, you're like mesmerized or hypnotized yeah. and you need to like put an end to that loop and then head out. And then at that moment, it's like, okay, I got, I know I just conquered that. I know it, that yes. moment. Yeah. Because sometimes I could lay around all day or half a day. I know. Yeah, I know. I did that. Yep. You know, it's interesting too, like you'd said that when you didn't grieve and then all of that, like you put it on the back burner and then it, here it comes. And that's what happened to me. I can totally relate to that. Like when my ex-husband died at the age of 26, I, I didn't grieve, didn't have time to grieve. I was like, I had two kids. I was like, I gotta, I gotta work. I gotta do all these things. I'll grieve later and never you know, it's like, like 10 years goes by, 15 years go by. Then when my brother died, boom, it all, it all comes up. up. I, and I remember thinking, I'm like, okay, let's do this thing. And then I was going through the divorce at the same time. I'm like, all right, like it's this one big grieving party here. Right? It is. Oh, let's and do this. And the but divorce you know is like grief. Yeah. Right. And you just keep digging, you keep digging, you keep digging. And then finally, and I think that's what it is. Like you have to have faith that you will break through to the other side. You will right. get through. That, and who knows how long it'll take, how much work you have to do, but the work is worth it, right? It totally is worth it. And yeah. I think the other, the other beauty of it is that then you can tell anybody else that's going through it, you will get through this. And, yeah. you know, because some people just are like, I just don't want to live. And you're like, are you kidding? I mean, nothing is worth not wanting to live. You've got to go want to live. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I think too, relating this back to your, to your furniture and rebuilding furniture and you're, you're rebuilding it your way. You get to pick the fabric, you pick the colors, you pick the style and like, there's still the structure of it is still there. You're still there. You're just adding some different color to it. and. You're like the perfect spokes. You're like my marketing woman. Uh, What did I say earlier? Rebuilding furniture and rebuilding lives. There we go. Yeah. Um, So on that, on the chair thing, 
because we'll talk about this in a minute, but it is because it's like when you go, when you start having to delve into what all your issues are, it's like taking a chair apart. It's tearing off old, tattered, dry, ripped stuff, getting down to the clean and fixing it and building it back up again. And that is, that's metaphor, simile, whatever it is. Yep. That is how I taught these women in these boot camps I did. And I saw them do it and I saw their spirits lift. And it was just, I, it was like my little laboratory where I watched it happen. I thought, what's going on here? I, something is happening. They're walking out happier than they walked in. And then amazing. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, you're basically, you're deconstructing the chair. You're deconstructing your life. Yes. To reconstruct something new, something exactly. better, something exactly. more, yeah, something more solid, something more secure. And there's so much there. Repaired, fixed, stronger materials because yeah. you've matured. And so you have stronger, you have a stronger sense of yourself. And you know what, too, to say that like it's the chair is worth it. Your old self is worth it. And it doesn't need to be thrown away. Like sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm just too old to do this. I'm too old to do that. Like bullshit. Like at any time you can make over yourself, you can recreate something new. You can, and it's, it's up to you though. So question for you, how did you get the courage to do it, to keep going? Oh, that, oh, oh, this is a great, I forgot the main thing. So, um, after my sister died, we had already Mm -hmm. planned a trip to Colorado. My daughter lived there to go skiing. So we went skiing and it was the end of the trip and my now ex-husband and my youngest son and I were headed to the airport and we stopped for lunch. And I was just like, I wasn't catatonic, but I had had a meltdown on the slopes because I couldn't get my ski buckle, my boot buckle off. And I just lost it. I couldn't find them. But anyway, so we're dry, we're sitting there at lunch and X goes to um, the bathroom and my younger son reached over the table and grabbed my hand. Get your Kleenex ready, everybody. <laughs> he grabbed my hand and he said, Mom, I know you miss your family so much, but we need you here. We need you here with us. Meaning, I don't know if he was scared something was going to happen or he wanted me to just be happy be again or whatever. But his him saying that and being brave enough to say that to me, I tell him this all the time, that saved me. That oh. turned everything around because I realized that it's so much bigger than just me. Yeah, I oh. just, yeah, I just. I'm I still processing that. You, I know you miss all your family, but we need you uh. here with us. Meaning mentally, physically, don't go do anything that you're so sad and depressed that you're going to go. You right. know, I don't know. Maybe he was scared. It's, it's kind of like be here in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Like come back to life. Like you're, yes. you're still breathing. Come back to life. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think that's living your life again. Yeah. And it's funny. My older two kids who are also, I mean, they're not as sensitive as he is, but they would have never said anything like that. They would have just like, are you okay? Okay, fine. But man, he was right in there, you know, and that's important to be those kind of that kind of a person to reach out to somebody and say something like that. That goes to show the power of words, too. And if we see someone else that's hurting, sometimes there's one sentence you could say that completely lift them up and change your life. 
I know. And even if you have to risk saying something that they take kind of like, oh, that's weird. She's like, that's way too personal. And who cares? Yeah, exactly. Short. You just have to, you have to do it. It is too yeah. short. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, you guys, like if you're like, like if we get a hundred years, that's still a blink of time and eternity. Correct. I Nothing. know. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like rebuild, do what you got to do. Just get back to life. Right. And it is hard sometimes, you know, and mm-hmm. I go through that a lot. Like, oh. I don't know. It's I'm too old. You know, why am I still grinding away? It's like, well, you know, I do have a little bit of ambition. That's a good thing. I mean, yes. that's something that some people don't have anymore. Yeah. And I do. And I feel like I um, feel like I have something that I can relate. And like you, you mm-hmm. connect to somebody and you and because people write me little emails and texts and say that. And it's like, all right, I'm out there still doing something. So don't right. give up. Don't give up. Making a difference. Yeah. So you do teach courses. I do. And so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, what's your next question? Tell, tell me, tell me about your courses. All right. So my, this course is one that is a spinoff of what I used to teach. So I taught this class called a three-day boot camp, upholstery boot camp. And women really came in from all over the country and Canada and because wow. no place else did this. And they would come in and do this chair reno renovation. Um, so this is that course, only it is that not coaching, but healing sort of is applied to it. Hmm. I don't even know if healing is the right word. It, I don't know how much I want to take people down that road. I think it happens naturally. So the mm-hmm. course is called Cheer Up. Get it? Cheer Up, Cheer Up. <laughs> uh, and I just maybe lightly instruct and lead them to see the similarities between rebuilding a life and they can see it in this physical piece here. Because sometimes you, it's like, it's almost more than you can handle when you're just thinking, Oh yeah, I got to rebuild my life. Uh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to do that. But exactly. Okay. But if you can see something and work on it, you can kind of go, "Oh, I get it. I get it." Yep. Yep. And it just naturally happens. Yeah. You're so rebuilding your up. life at the same time. Chair up, everyone. Chair up. I just and need a chair up. So I did have a tagline, but now I might use your tagline, but my tagline was uh happy reinvention, but I had a lot longer one, but I read, don't have them long, but wait, what was yours again? Uh, rebuilding furniture and rebuilding lives or yeah. Re- rebuild, uh, rebuild furniture and rebuild your life. Something like that. I don't know. You got yeah, to work. I'm going to workshop that. Trademark that. Trademark that sucker. Yeah. Are you going to have an attorney send me a document? Like you owe her. Um, so anyway, Sign that's here and here. Yeah, that's coming up. And then I still have online classes on my website, which have been up there for a long time, but they still sell and they're solid. They're old and I look completely different, but they still sell. I love it. You're so awesome. I'm so glad we met. Thank you. I know. Well, I just, I love watching you and your adventures and I think she's doing it. She's out there doing it. I'm doing it. Rebuilding my life over and over. Like you said earlier, like you've made over your life several times. And I'll do it again and again and again. It doesn't stop. And it's like, what's the alternative, right? Yes. Wah, wah, wah is the alternative. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah. So where can we find you? 
Okay, so my website is thehomeroomshop.com and I'm on Instagram at home underscore room underscore shop. Um, I've got Facebook and YouTube and all that, but if you go to my website, you can find those other links there. And definitely check it. Yeah, yeah, check her out on Instagram. The furniture on there is so cool, and I love, I love seeing even on your website, just seeing the women and their smiling faces, and they're standing next to what they created, and you can, you can feel it. It is so cool. That's what kept me in it, and that's what keeps me going. Is how like the joy they had. I just, I, there's nothing like it. There's, it's indescribable for me. Aww. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, everybody. And now for the nuggets of midlife wisdom from today's show. Number one, when you make something with your hands, it can uplift your spirit. Number two, when you make something for someone else, it can uplift your spirit even more. Number three, when you work on something with your hands, it helps you to get control of the materials, which helps you feel in control when the rest of your life is out of control. Number four, there are pluses to trauma because trauma allows you to grow and deepen as a human being. Number five, just like in Shawshank Redemption, keep digging through your troubles and your trauma and you will get to the other side. Number six, when you begin to delve into your issues, it's like taking a chair apart. You're tearing off old tattered fabric, getting down to the bones of the chair and building it back up again. Deconstruct your life to reconstruct your new life. Number seven, this nugget goes to Shelly's wise son. Thank you. If you've been down at the dumps for a long time, Come back to life because we need you here with us. Your family needs you. Your friends need you. Your community needs you. And the world needs you. Shelly, you're so awesome. Thank you for inspiring me and inspiring my audience to rebuild their lives and to, of course, rebuild furniture. Check out Shelly at thehomeroomshop.com to sign up for her upcoming class, Chair up so you can cheer up. Also, get her free ebook, Intro to Sewing and Upholstery, located on her website as well. All of the links are located in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm glad that we are all learning to move through the changes of life together. Become a boss at loss, remove those annoying staples, and rebuild a better life and a better you. I will talk to you on Monday when we have another awesome guest, Leah Hadley. She is the founder and CEO of Great Lakes Divorce Financial Solutions, where she is on a mission to provide women compassionate financial guidance before, during, and after a divorce to help them secure financial confidence and independence. Oh, yes. More ways to conquer change in our lives. Have a great Labor Day weekend, everyone. Bye. Did this podcast inspire you, challenge you, trigger you to make a change or spit out your coffee laughing? Good. Then there are three ways you can thank me. Number one, you can leave a written review of this podcast on Apple iTunes. Number two, you can take a screenshot of the episode and share it on the social media and tag me, Wendy Valentine. Number three, 
share it with another midlifer that needs a makeover. You know who I'm talking about. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Get out there and be bold, be free, be you.